Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to an author that I'm very excited to talk to, and his name is Anthony Anastasi. And he'll go by Tony as well. So Tony, why don't you say hi to the listeners? Oh, hello. And I wanted to thank you, Vicki, for the privilege of being on your podcast. Thanks very much. And it's a pleasure to talk to listeners. Oh, we're so happy to have you because you have a really great uh, memoir that we're going to really dive into, do some talking about. Well, Mm -hmm. before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about your background just and how you've woven that into your memoir. But first, I so I went and I did read the review that was written about your book. So I have a little insider view about kind of what it's about. But tell us a little bit about your background before this book came out, because you have an interesting background. Yes. Okay. Background. I started... uh, The only thing I ever really wanted to do was to write, you know, and you probably had that feeling. I think most writers do. You want to write about something. So I was in the eighth grade, you know, writing the little compositions and my uh, nun, the sister at the Catholic school said, she told me, she said, I want you to send me an autographed copy of your first book. Well, it took quite a while, (laughs) quite a while to get the book, but uh, she's not around anymore. Uh, so from there, when I went to high school, uh, it was a Jesuit Catholic school, Gonzaga in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, all, all boys. And uh, I wanted to write. So there was a fellow, they had an organization for the newspapers, a daily newspaper, the Washington Daily News. And uh, Saturdays, they had a scholastic sports section for schools, all the schools in the area. And our representative was a fellow named Joe Kleinster. We became a priest later on, but he represented our school. I was a freshman. He was a senior. And I kept bugging him, you know. I said, Joe, take me down. And take me down there sometime. Well, yeah, I'm really interested. You know, I kept after him. said, okay, all right. So he takes me down to the news. I was a freshman. And uh, started, I think my first article was covering a baseball game. And I sat down. They didn't offer any typing at school. You know, it was all Latin and Greek, stuff like that. So I didn't know how to type. So I sit down with a pencil and pad and I start writing this report. And uh, the editor walks up to me. He says, oh, he said, no, he says, you got to type it. I says, so I sat there, you know, with two fingers, like a lot of reporters do. <laughs> and I still do it. And using the fingers and got the first story done. But anyway, it was a wonderful experience all four years in high school to be there at the newspaper every week, Friday night, you know, I had a bunch of guys all from these different schools and they all covered their own ball games. And we got together and uh, did our stories. And we had a big argument until past midnight about the athlete of the week. You know, everybody wanted their school to have the athlete. So, uh, and then it got to past midnight, and uh, I eventually I became the editor of the whole thing. First a radio editor, and then the, the full editor. And uh, I lived a distance from the newspaper, so Friday nights we'd be there late till after midnight, 
I went to my grandfather's house. My grandfather lived alone near the Capitol in Washington. And I would go after midnight, spend the night, sleep there. But I had to be back at 7 a.m. to put the pages together. Yep. yep. The two pages of the sports. So I'd work with the uh, printer on that. We'd do the two pages. And it's such a thrill to see the newspapers rolling off the, you know, the presses. And you got a byline, you know, Ooh, there's my name. And uh, I, I would even, I'd get on the bus, you know, going home and I'm looking for people, see if anybody's reading my story, you know, in the paper. <laughs> so anyway, when the paper came out, then we had a radio show, same type of thing, the high school sports. And I would kind of hustle three blocks from the newspaper down to the radio station. And then we'd sit there and we'd write the radio scripts and we go on around noontime, 15-minute show, and that was it for the week. But there was a fellow, I had a wonderful uh, uh, fellow who helped me, not, not moderator, but uh, the name's coming, uh, mentor. And his name was Bob Wolf. He was a wonderful sports writer. He covered the baseball games for the Washington Senators with Arch McDonald, the two of them. So Bob and I were talking one day, and I said, well, why don't you have something about high school? And he says, okay. So he had me on his show every Monday night. I would come and interview the Athlete of the Week. Oh, nice. And he was a wonderful guy and such a good – we were doing a football game together for the championship. And, you know, I was about 16, 17 years old. And I had an interview with a coach lined up at halftime. And the coach never showed up. And I'm a kid standing there with a live mic. I got a live mic in my hand, not knowing what to do because the coach never showed up. Yeah, but, and you're live. You can't change it. I, I don't know why, but I was a little, a little nervous. But Bob Wolf took the micro, microphone, and you would never know there's any problem. He was so smooth. He just went on with the whole thing and uh, – it was wonderful. He also told me something about an interview, and I'm sure you know a lot about it. Uh, he says sometimes when you get a person to interview uh, an athlete or somebody, and they're they're uh, soft spoken or they're private, they're not you know some of those guys who you ask them a question and say yes or no. Uh, so you want want more in the interview. So he says what you do is. Uh, you do it for them. You start talking about them and their background and their batting average and home runs and statistics and all, and then they'll say yes or no, and then you start same thing again. Uh, so that was it uh, pretty much for high school, and after that I went to the University of Maryland. I became the uh, sports editor of the Diamondback, the uh, college newspaper, I also did the color commentary for the basketball games, which was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. And sometimes I think maybe I should have gone in that direction. You know, it's a lot of fun, as you know, to broadcast, to be on the air. Yeah. And I felt comfortable with it. Uh, but I went with the, uh, with the newspaper. And the newspaper went out of business in the 60s, mm-hmm. unfortunately, and a lot right now, especially local papers going out of business now. Uh, So um, when that happened, I joined the government. Mm -hmm. Same thing, different kinds of writing. You know how 
press releases and booklets. And I got into speech writing uh, sort of as a, a, a challenge, really, because a lot of people didn't want to do it. And I thought that I would try it. And I did. I enjoyed it and uh, got some White House assignments. And I remember writing the, the Mother's Day address for President Gerald R. Ford. Oh, how wonderful. Way, way back then. And, and to my surprise, he used it. <laughs> they didn't change any of it. So, uh, so, so that was a thrill. And uh, uh, that's what I did, uh, all the writing until retirement. Uh, I've been retired. I think I've been retired longer than I worked, actually. I retired in 1985. Oh, nice. But I did, uh, I did go to work with the local school system for about 15 years part-time, uh, helping kids in the writing classes. Oh, how wonderful. After that, I retired. And so now, uh, not as much writing, but I've always, uh, you know, as I said from, from the beginning, I've always had great interest in sports. So I try to find in retirement, I try to find at least one enjoyable thing to do each day. Oh, nice. Uh, what a great And uh, <laughs> uh, now uh, in the current situation, it's a little harder to do that. Uh, but I would do, I'm in a Scrabble club. I love Scrabble on Tuesdays and I would do the other sports, uh, bowling and bocce and ping pong and whatever I could find uh, to do one thing at least each day. Uh, a friend of mine, I have a good friend, 96 years old, and you wouldn't oh believe it. He's got a chest full of senior Olympic medals. Oh, wow. And uh, still plays a lot of sports at 96, has an unreturnable backhand in ping pong. <laughs> still, still taking courses and taking a boxing course and, and this his name is ted murphy ted murphy is his name he's uh he's been sort of a role model for me but uh i'll, I'll stop for now so you can get some questions in well i love it we have a lot of similar background i started i got the writing bug starting in high school on our high school newspaper in my community oh and, um, Got started yeah. there, and I thought I was going to go be a journalist. Um, yeah, yeah. And got sidetracked with babies and raising a family, uh -huh. and it's taken me until I'm almost now. Won't say my age because my listeners don't know how old I am. But well, I can say you look so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my kids are grown, and it took me that long to be able to do the podcast. And the podcast feels like broadcasting, so it's it's. Oh. So uh, how, did, how did you get into the podcast business? Um, great story. Um, and my listeners, you guys already know this because I've said this before, but I'll share it with Tony. Um, two years ago, I decided I was going to start working towards retirement. Um, mm. I love my job, but I wanted to start setting up what I wanted to really do in retirement mm. was to write novels. Um, and so I started listening to a lot of podcasts and advice for writers, and I was uncertain about the um, publishing industry. I knew that it had changed and that there was a lot of self-publishing available, but I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Well, I started asking, um, I started asking um, authors around me what they had done, 
And their stories were so great of how their journey to publishing. I'm like, this would be a great podcast. So I just woke up one day and said, I'm going to do it. And so two years later, almost 90 um, interviews later, I'm here still doing it. (laughs) That's a wonderful story. Yeah, I really enjoy it. (laughs) I started with uh, self-publishing. Yeah. Uh, My first venture, and I had mentioned to you earlier, uh, my daughter... Aaron wrote a, a poetry book called Sun Diamonds, uh, and she works for United Nations, travels around the world a lot, especially in Africa, and there's a lot of third world poetry. I cannot read this book without a box of Kleenex. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's one poem here, if you'll permit me. Uh, it's a short poem that she wrote. She won a prize for this poem. It's called Great Grandmother. Mm-hmm. Can I go ahead and read it? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and read it? Because I have some connection to Africa. I've been to Kenya, and um, oh. so I'd love to hear it. So I will go okay. quiet while you share that with us. I think you'd love this book. Okay. Now, her great-grandmother, my father's mother, was confined to a mental institution for a lot of her life. Mm-hmm. So my daughter had never met her at all. She'd heard a little about her. And the poem is called Great-Grandmother. I have never known your name. I never got to hug you. You left before I arrived. Still, your blood, your song, your silence courses through me. This I know, though I know almost nothing else about you, except that they called you ill. And you bore out most of your days at St. Elizabeth's Hospital. Still, I wonder, Mother, were you ill or simply passionate, unable to live as they prescribed, demanded, unwilling to pretend? This, too, shall we call it your illness, courses through me. Thank you. Oh, I love that. How wonderful that she wrote that and asked those questions about Oh, it's beautiful. In that time frame, a lot of women were put away because they were passionate. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It's, uh, you know, when I saw uh, Aaron, I, I write, I think I write with my head. She writes with her heart and soul. Yeah. Her heart and soul. And she had no interest in any publication. But I would, some years ago, I would find little poems here and there that she wrote. And I read, I said, this has to be published. It's crying mm-hmm. out to be published. You can't hide this under a bushel. Yeah, good that for you. <laughs> so that's the first thing I did. Good for you. So is she one of your readers? Does, did she read your book before you uh, got it published? And do you and her talk back and forth about the writing process? Not a lot, because her writing is so different, mm-hmm. you know, her poetry from my writing. And she reads my book, you know, after it's published, I don't think before. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's one other self-published book I did. I don't know. Can can you see this book? Um, how about you tell me the title of it so my okay. listeners know the title. It's called The Last Personal Letter. Oh, okay. Last Personal Letter. And I would say with, with emails inundating us, I think this will be my last personal letter. John asked me some time ago to write about the highlights of our lives. And once again, I'm too late. John's gone now, and I apologize to him for not doing this sooner, but I do feel he'll somehow be aware of this, and I hope his family enjoys it. 
This letter will abound in digressions, but that's the way our lives work. That's oh, just nice. And that was your self-published title. That's self-published, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought about going back to this and, and working on it and and maybe having it published someday, you know, if it's yeah. if it's accepted. Yeah. The, the, the way, you know, the way I got the the uh, uh, the, the Giesing book published was uh, I, I was just I was watching television one day and there was a commercial by L.R. Price Publications yeah. mm-hmm. in London, England. And they said they're looking for for new writers, for new authors. So I thought, well, you know, what do I have to lose? So I sent the manuscript in and he emailed back and said, we love the book, but we don't like all the title. We want to change some title. Yeah. I said, that's fine because the original title I had was gazing along at 80, shaking off the last drop. Okay. Now, and the current title is, so my listeners the know. The current title is gazing along at 80 living, loving, and laughing after 80. Okay. Because my wife said, you can't do that first title and other people. <laughs> the men got a big laugh out. I thought, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> your husband would uh, maybe you recognize appreciate it. Yes. But there's, <laughs> yeah. you're losing out on a huge portion of audience, right? Unless you change yeah. that title. So smart. And they're, too, they're too, they're too cultured in, on old Gloucester street in London. <laughs> for a title like that. So yeah. uh, I, I, I just, uh, they treated me uh, so well, and uh, I appreciate what they've done for me in publishing the book. They say they distribute in England, Ireland, and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and I got connected to you through them. So the story goes, um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on social media everywhere. And um, I put out a couple requests to publishers on social media if they have an author that would be interested in coming on the podcast. And they reached out back to me and said, why don't you bring our Tony on? And I'm like, fantastic. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Months okay. later. Right. So yeah. Tony, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Um, your, t- your book that we're talking about, the Geezer book, it's a memoir, right? Yeah. Um, now, had you been keeping journals or it, did you just sit down one day and mapped out what you wanted to write and you tried to remember everything from your past? Or is there a little mix of kind of um, memories and mixture in there for you? Well, the way it happened was I started at the beginning. I had, I had an Uncle Joe who lived to be 99. Oh, Wow. And his son would call him every day from wherever he was in the world. And his son, my cousin, passed away. So Uncle Joe called me one day. He says, would you mind, you know, checking in with me? And we get together and this and that. And I said, sure. So I would call him almost every morning. And how are you? I'd go every Saturday, go over and have lunch, take him for a ride and so forth. And uh, uh, at his funeral, I delivered the eulogy which I want to talk about David Brooks' idea, eulogies, in a minute. But anyway, uh, at the funeral, when I delivered his eulogy at the end of it, to my great shock and surprise, I got a standing ovation. Oh, wow. For the eulogy. I mean, I never had a standing ovation. What's going on? So when I went home, I started thinking. I said, you know, I said, they seem to like what I said. 
maybe I should try to write some. Maybe somebody will like it. I don't know. So I sat down. I didn't map out a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was very exciting, very therapeutic, because I would get up like almost every morning. I get up and say to my wife, uh, "Oh, I got to put this in. I got to put this in." You know, I just remembered this and that, mm -hmm. uh, and I'd go to the, uh, you know, the computer and type in another story. Uh, it got to be uh, quite a few stories after a while, and I put it together and uh, had it self-published first. Okay. And then L.R. Price came along and published it, but it was it was very exciting. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I I wish I had that now. I don't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just get up in the morning and read the paper and have coffee and breakfast, you know, but maybe yeah. maybe it'll happen again, I hope. It could, you know, it does. Um, so let me ask you this too. And were are your stories mixed with stories about your family life and family members? And have your family members read the book and what is their take on it? They have read the book. Uh, one of my favorite comments was a lady said, uh, she read the book and she her comment was, I laughed, I cried, I wanted more. Oh, that's a great comment. Yeah, I love <laughs> that it. should be on the back of your book as an endorsement. <laughs> and uh, I had, uh, yeah, I don't have that in there. But, you know, the best uh, cut on a caption for a photo in this book, it was in the, it was in the uh, published, uh, not the published, the uh, self-published version, mm -hmm. not, but it's on the cover of the published book right here, the Giesing book, but there's no caption with it. And the oh, first okay. book, I don't know if you can see this. I can, yes. Okay, they used a picture of me. We were in a CC uh, with some friends. The man is a professional storyteller. Very mm -hmm. interesting. He took us all around and told stories about St. Francis of Assisi. He had a wonderful time. But in this picture, I'm standing in front of some ancient Roman wall or part of a wall anyways torn down and here I'm standing in front my wife took the picture and the caption she wrote for me was the best in the whole book the caption read ancient and modern Roman ruins <laughs> okay uh -huh. you talk, you're talking to the modern one right yeah, now because yeah I got it that's great it, isn't that a great? That it is really not, not in the book. <laughs> oh, that's stupid. Well, I'm glad you explained it. So, yeah. my listeners, when we when when I put the show notes together, we'll make sure there's some sort of way they can find your book, and if they purchase it, they'll know the caption behind that cover. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Great, yeah. great. So, yeah. Okay. So why don't we set the stage, Tony, for your reading, and um, why don't you share with us? Um, a little bit about what you're going to read, what, you know, and I'll go quiet and listen. And at the end of the reading, I'll take us out of the podcast. Okay. I've marked some passages here. Uh, this is in high school. Uh, going to an all boys school, no girls in sight. We had to create our own fun. I had a wonderful Greek teacher, Father Soupe. He twirled an imaginary mustache and puffed on a piece of chalk. During exams, he would scan us like a hawk, looking for anyone with cheat sheet notes. As he scoured the room during one exam, I saw him look at me. 
as I was peering inside my coat jacket. Aha, Mr. Anastasi, he yelled as he raced toward me. Pulling me out of my seat by my necktie, he reached into my inside coat pocket and yanked out the piece of paper, which read, April Fool. And he was not pleased with that. <laughs> <I'm sure he laughs> so after school, uh, I couldn't resist doing that. After school that day, I was sentenced to do time in JUG, J-U-G. Only at a Jesuit institution could detention be called justice under God. Yeah, that's one uh, part I'd like to read. Would you like me to continue? Yes, why don't you read another one for us? It's lovely. Okay, I have, uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is one of my favorites. I'm a, I'm, I'm a prankster, and there are a lot of pranks in this. In fact, the first book, the subtitle was Pranks for the Memory. Um, so I, we were living in our first home. It was in the 70s. Our next door neighbor decided to uproot the dead tree in his front yard. He tied a rope to the tree and the other end of his car's back bumper. Shortly thereafter, the tree was yanked from the ground and ended up lying in the street along with the back bumper. So I assumed after he had disposed of the tree, uh, let's see, he had disposed of the tree. And the following day, as I was driving down the road, I spotted it dumped in a nearby field. So I tucked the tree into my car's trunk. And later in the dark of night, I crept over into his front yard replanting it in the same exact space he removed it from. The next morning, I couldn't wait to see his face. I think he suspected me, though, and he wouldn't come out to let me enjoy the satisfaction of my venture. However, we remained friends. He was always encouraging me to run for the office in the Senior Flatulence Society or the Neighborhood Senior Sauntering Society, and I lost the race to a much louder fellow and outpaced in the other position, so I decided to spend some spare time mentoring local third grade children. And I'll go to another section here. Oh, this is about ex-president Bill Clinton. I believe that all of us over 50 should take Bill Clinton's advice, which he shared during a TV interview a few years ago, Clinton advised seniors to write about their life history for their families and posterity. It can be therapeutic and also provide an insight into your life for your children and grandchildren. I remember years ago doing an amateur interview with a friend's grandfather, and years later, the family treasured the tape. I will go to another one here. Let's see. Ah, okay. Um, some of the authors, I, one of my favorite authors, David Brooks, New York Times columnist. I don't know if you read him much. He's written some, and John Meacham, the historian. But this is about David Brooks. Uh, he and Mark Shields are on the PBS News Hour every every Friday. He says, "I love his idea." Brooks has authorized, has authored, I mean, has authored a popular book titled "The Road to Character." in which he distinguishes resume virtues 
from eulogy virtues. Resume virtues comprise a person's skills and career accomplishments, whereas eulogy virtues describe the spirit and characteristics of a person as might be described at the person's funeral. Two very different categories, which both give pause for thought. The eulogy especially reminds me of the old adage that nobody on his or her deathbed ever said, I wish I spent more time in the office. So Brooks is encouraging each of us to search for something more, something far deeper than career highlights. Oh, you're speaking my language. I love that one. <laughs> yeah. This, this may, may be the last thing I'll read, but this, to me, I was so disappointed because this, what I'm going to read now, I don't think anybody ever commented to me, and I was proud of it, and I was waiting for somebody to say something, and nobody ever did. And I wanted it printed so much that I was, I tried to pay for an ad in the newspaper, and everywhere I went, I was rejected. Even the local church priest said, no, it's too controversial. But here it is in the book. <laughs> All right. Kind of- well, it's printed, isn't it? <laughs> okay. This is about, and I think this is especially timely right now with all of the protests going on all over the world. And I wrote this for the celebration of Martin Luther King Day a few years ago. On this National Celebration Day of the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, may I have the privilege of making a far overdue monumental apology to all of our African-American citizens for the inexcusable, atrocious treatment of them for far too many years. This apology is extended to our Native American brothers and sisters, to our gay community, to our Jewish brothers and sisters, for the shameful way in which they have been mistreated. Who am I? Who am I to make such an apology? I have no official office or grand platform from which to speak. I'm only one person, but I hope I represent thousands, hopefully millions who feel as I do. So with all due respect, we ask somehow you will accept our most sincere apology and realize there are so many of us who deeply regret our past mistakes. Well, bravo, Tony. And how did you know way back then when he wrote that? <laughs> but it is timely, right? It is very timely. So Very timely right now. And I'm very glad it is published. And so my listeners know that they can come on show notes and find your book and enjoy it. So before we leave the podcast, um, I have two questions for you. Sure. Um, what, so I'll start with the first one. What... Is your what was your inspiration with this particular book, or to keep writing? What what kept you going with it? Well, this book, the inspiration was the uh, eulogy I gave for my for my uncle, mm-hmm. uh, which which uh, you know, and I got uh, such a wonderful uh, uh, reception with that that uh, I decided I would I would write more. Uh, but in general, I don't think I could pinpoint any one inspiration other than humanity <laughs> uh the things that you see and and read every day that that prompt you to to want to comment on those 
Uh, and I know you had some other questions for me too. You I do. I have one question for you. Yep. And it's a personal question I like to ask authors when they come on, because I'm working through this journey of learning. I believe in lifelong learning from other people. Mm. Um, so what would be your advice to somebody like me who has her book manuscript written, not quite published? What would you tell somebody like me? Can I just say quickly first, when you said uh, learning, thinking, and, and, and being a wise person, that I, I just love the, the definition of a wise man by Confucius. Maybe you've heard it before. Yeah. Confucius said a wise man is not, not one who knows what he knows, but one who knows what he doesn't know. Yeah. And I think that hits, hits the mark. But what would I advise you? Um, uh, what do you think about self-publishing? I am on the fence about self-publishing still. No. Um, there's a lot of pros and cons with self-publishing that I've no. done in my research and hearing from other authors. I think it's a really wonderful opportunity. I don't know if it's going to be the opportunity for me, though. Yeah. That's that's where I'm at. And as far as an agent... Uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think it'd be very, very hard to get an agent unless mm -hmm. you have a connection or something. But why don't you consider uh, doing what I did? L.R. Price is looking for new authors. Yeah, they're on my list. Yeah. <laughs> I have a running list. And send them the manuscript, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I would try that because, you know, here I, I didn't know anybody, didn't have an agent or anything like that. And I saw that commercial and did it. And, yeah. and look what happened. You're interviewing me. I know. Isn't that awesome? Well, this yeah. is the deal. This is the deal I'll make you and I'm making for my listeners and all the authors I've met. I have plenty of authors that are asking me when, what I'm doing, you know? Um, so I promise that whatever I do, you guys will know. So when a book comes out, if it's published or it's with the publishing well, house, everybody will know about it. Cause I'll be so excited to finally have it done and out. <laughs> I'll be excited for you. And uh, maybe I'll interview you. Oh, we could definitely turn the tables. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. We should, we'll plan that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for visiting with me and sharing with all of us and my listeners um, about your, your book and your journey towards writing. I think it's a wonderful journey. Um, we will stay in touch and I'll yeah. definitely bring you back on so you can't interview when my book's out. That'll be fun. And may I please thank you so much for the privilege of appearing on your podcast and wish you the best of luck in the world, Vicki. Thank you, Tony, so much. I appreciate it. So good to, sit, to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you'd like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.